Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet. Look at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I got Katie Flower here. I am Chad Parsons out of uthdynasty.com. And we are continuing our flashback series. We are going to talk a little NFL combine at the end of the show here. But it is going in the Wayback Machine to 2016. We had a glaring 101 for the first time in a, a few years here in rookie drafts. But we had ambiguity, ambiguity otherwise for those dynasty owners. So, Katie, uh, start our flashback series off with uh, a look at 2016, and we'll finish up with what lessons we can learn going ahead from this class. Absolutely. So we'll start with the running backs like we have been. And the they did continue the first-round NFL running back. Ezekiel Elliott went fourth overall to Dallas, but then it was a big drought. Derrick Henry didn't get drafted until 45th overall in the second round. We had two third rounders, Kenyon Drake and CJ Procise. I remember UTH really loved CJ Procise as somebody that could catch the ball, that could move. Um, we know that his, his uh, career was just injury, 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 and he never really panned out. Kenny Dixon in the fourth round, Devontae Booker in the fourth round, Jordan Howard in the fifth round. Jonathan Williams and Alex Collins, a couple of Arkansas Razorbacks in the fifth round. This class really was top-heavy, and that was it. Um, we, we knew that Zeke was going to be the 101, and even in Superflex drafts, he should have been the 101. I know that when we get to quarterbacks, we can discuss the quarterback situation, but Zeke had a great profile, and Derrick Henry, we were a little bit under the helmet was a little bit iffy on uh, you could talk to his projection model compared to, you know, just some of the other guys, but Zeke was the clear one one no question in, in pretty much any format. And he panned out. He really did. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause looking at the draft class strength, which looks at the top hundred, obviously uh, some of the biggest names and some of the biggest decisions you had to make on this draft were maybe how high and who to take of the day three guys at running back. But the fact that you had a top five guy in Zeke with a great profile, and yet this was uh, the weakest class uh, in basically a decade uh, going back overall. And, and that just speaks to that. It was Zeke and what else? Cause you did not have a lot of top hundred picks. You only had one more Derrick Henry in the top 50, actually top 65. So that made it uh, a lot of ambiguity. And, and frankly, we didn't get help at the other positions enough to say that guys like, I remember Devonte Booker and Kenneth Dixon were venturing into the late first round, which is basically a criminal historical data point sin, uh, if you do that in rookie drafts, and yet here we were doing it. I remember even 109, 110 for for guys like Dixon and Booker landing in maybe some optimistic spots. But man, they are so far down the NFL draft board. It's tough to have a lot of pedigree faith there. And I would remind folks, I mean, that think right now fondly as Derrick Henry, some massive giant hit. He was a very sluggish starter. Seven points per game year one, eight points per game year two, 12, which again was just starting the the journey to viability for him in year three. So so Derrick Henry had a big question mark about the receiving game. And frankly, he went his entire career so far in the NFL with a receiving game question. Now, at 240 plus pounds, that speed, uh, the the ability to take one to the house at at his size with just that inertia once it got moving. Um, Henry was one that became one of the top runners in the NFL. But frankly, fantasy-wise, he had to do that because receiving has always been a notable limitation, not necessarily viewed as a true three-down back. Yeah, uh, this was the year that we we did. we After the 101, every single player was speculation and moving them up draft boards higher than they should have. 
but there were some gems to be found, not necessarily at running back. But one of the things that I wanted to say about Zeke, you know, a lot of people are thinking, well, he's fading, he's fading, but even more so than Derrick Henry, because Zeke at 21 years old coming out as a rookie, he really killed it from day one. He had 88 NFL regular season starts. He was top five 24 times, 27% of the time. Derrick Henry, 22% of the time. And that's what Derrick Henry having that sluggish start. We remember Derrick Henry because he's been doing it of late and Zeke hasn't. But Zeke put up top 12 weeks, 49 times, 56% of the time compared to 38% of the time for Derrick Henry. No other running back in that time span, not Christian McCaffrey, not anybody, nobody in that time frame did better than Zeke Elliott. And then top 24 weeks, 71 out of 88, 81% of the time he was at least an RB2. Derrick Henry, 56% of the time. Zeke Elliott surpassed Todd Gurley, and Zeke is still playing. He's not out to pasture. He may not be that same stud that he was, and I think a lot of it is the money got to his head. I don't think his legs are burned out. I don't think he's physically burned out. I think his head has just gotten to him. And uh, Yeah, I think, I think people with Zeke need to remember that this is someone that came in, like you said, he was going in the first round of startups, I remember, you know, on occasion when he first came out. And right away, running back one status, top six status, four straight years in the top six of adjusted points per game to start his career. The past two haven't been quite as good, but this is sort of like the, the Josh Jacobs theory that people want to throw dirt on guys that finish, you know, running back eight to 15 or 16. And that is still an auto start weekly that you don't really think much about. And Zeke has been that six years in a row to start his career. He really has been, you know, over the, the more than half a decade here of one of the pinnacle players at the position, obviously pinnacle pedigree and going to a franchise right in the limelight. A lot of feature games there with Dallas. So, so he really was, and I remember I made a couple of bold trades in leagues where, okay, I'm good. And I, I traded, you know, things like 104 plus another first rounder plus a player or two to get to 101 this time of year because it was so declared at that point in time that Ezekiel Elliott was the crown jewel of the class and did go, uh, was going to go highly and be the 101. And sure enough, he was. Uh, Dallas took him as the, the best player available at that point in time. There's a lot of discussion. Was Zeke the best player overall in the draft, regardless of position um, in this in this uh, class? So yeah, he really came through. And you know, day three, we did have some moments, but I think this class is a really good reminder for if you don't have the pedigree, a lot of times sustained production does not find you, even if you flash a little bit. Right. This was Kenyon Drake. You know, he was a rookie this time. He was in the mid second. He was a decent value mid second, but he's no super stud. He hasn't put up a whole lot of top five weeks. He's mainly an RB2. He's never really gotten uh, much. Alex Collins has had his moments where you could probably trade him for more than you bought him for. Oh, yeah. He was a third round rookie pick. He's sustained at least a career, but guys like, DeAndre Washington and just so many names in the later rounds. Uh, yeah. Daniel Peyton, Lasco and we had Peyton uh, Barber. I remember uh, someone yeah. who has actually carved quite a career for himself after fading. He was out of Auburn, I believe. Uh, yes. but he, and he was one of those younger guys and just, Oh, he went undrafted. That was a little unexpected for a lot of folks. And he, he came in, he was producing, he had a nice career arc. And now, obviously now he's on the downside, but still, trying to scratch and claw his way to be an injury away guy for, for cross sections here last year, the year before we've seen spot starts from him in the past. And Jordan Howard is probably the one that started out the hottest. We've seen him fade the last three, four years, but he was one of those big classic sell high guys just because he was a guy again with receiving uh, limitations. He was a bigger back that can move a little bit laterally. wasn't quite as good as in a straight line for his size. Um, but it's so many flash players. You know, Devonte Booker career kind of back up after cameoing a little bit early in his career as a starter. I will say from the projection model, uh, Jordan Howard, Kenneth Dixon. I, I was way more on Kenneth Dixon. You mentioned pro size as well of that bigger back that can move, that can catch, and really with pro size, it was all about the injuries. I mean, he had a couple of games. I know one came against the Patriots 
where he caught a bunch of passes, looked the part of what we thought coming out of Notre Dame, but he was one that just can he string together almost like Rashad Penny, where it was that much of a of a limitation with availability and durability in his first three, four, five years. And that really can stick with you. And he didn't have round one pedigree like Penny. I'm sure Penny is going to get more chances. And he was a stronger talent coming out. But with ProSize, just could not string it together long enough to play consistent football. And that ultimately sidelined him in terms of opportunities. And maybe his body uh, sidelined him as well relatively quickly. Yeah, and Jordan Howard, I know you talked about him for a minute. He had 71 career games. He's still going. But as far as when his hype got the biggest is when you should have sold him. He's only had seven games out of 71, 10% of the time in the top five. 16 games, 23% of the time as a top 12. He's an RB2, 54% of the time. So he didn't really return on your investment. If you are taking him in startup drafts, his second year, his third year, that's where you really, that's epic fail. Like if you take him in the rookie draft in the 204, 208 range, that's a win. But when you start projecting a guy like that, because he has the better start than Devonte Booker, ProSize, uh, Kenneth Dixon, and all these other guys, and, and, you know, the rest are meh, except for Ezekiel Elliott, and he's done something. When you crown somebody that early, it's so dangerous. And that's where he really made people owners pay is he was going in round two, round three of startup drafts almost immediately. And again, didn't really have the stick to itiveness. Yeah, one more player that I, I I remember from this class, and then a lesson. And the the player is Rob Kelly. Um, I remember he was another one that year one was absolutely his best year. He was a guy. Honestly, I don't think post NFL draft he was in the, even in the projection model. I think I added him when he started to get some buzz with Washington. He was out of Tulane, but he was another big back that was not a great athlete, but he had a receiving profile, which means you could be a three down back. And I remember him having moments in year one being valued probably like a second round rookie pick at times. And he was one that came out of the ether. So he's just another one of those deep names that, that I'll always remember having a cross section of time where he was being discussed quite a bit. And then my lesson is you've got to be measured in what the price you'll pay in a rookie draft for a day three running back. Uh, you know, that if, if you were sitting there in the late first and you say, well, I guess I better take my best player available and that's a day three running back, eh, that's a wrong answer. So I, I think, you know, and I think back to Rom- Ramondre Stevenson this past year, you could get him late in the second. I remember pretty sometimes in the third. That's a palatable price point if you like the profile, like the player, and you think there's some upside uh, to maybe situationally getting some opportunities in relatively short order so you don't have to hold for two seasons, let's say, before you see much of anything from that player. But running backs can benefit from injury pretty easily. So this was one class where we just did not have enough substance and it seems like running back was that position where just day three after day three guy getting pushed up into the top 8, 10, 12, 15. And you just have to pass. You have to trade back. You have to get future capital, trade for a veteran. You got to do something else because that is just sunken cost there when you invest that capital in. And frankly, when the bad outcomes come, you deserve every part of it. Well, the other part of it too, though, is the wide receiver class, even though they had the pedigree, a lot of people like this class did not pan out for wide receivers the way that it normally would. Well, we that's had, more of a tough, honestly, that's more, that's of, a it, tough a, beat. A, it's more of a bad beat. I would say than then, but, and, and they got pushed up as well. They got pushed up yeah. into round one, but that was ba- based on no running backs being there. Frankly, it was a little more deserving. Yeah. It, but the, the whole situation uh, ended up being where there weren't a whole lot of good options at any position, really, uh, if you reshuffle the board. But we can't do that. We're not trying to do that. The whole point is that rookie picks, even in the first round, are not a sure thing. And when you get a chance for a guy like Zeke Elliott at the 101 that everybody consensus-wise – 
film people, metrics people, everybody agreed that he was the 101. It's either 101 or bust. It's worth going up for him, right? I mean, it's, it's worth, worth going you, up. You sit up there, you sit there up. at 102 and you're like, oh, I'll give you 102, you know, 110 and 205. Like to move up one spot, you know, just because it's such a massive difference in the profile. And yeah, maybe 102 worked out. Maybe, you know, at 110, you would have made the right choice. But when you know it's a tepid class, frankly, you want to be high because you know what? High gives you lots of options. You know, you you very well could have been stuck at 109 or something because everyone's like, eh, it's all the same. I don't really want a day three running back or no one really stood out situationally. Like you can easily, like we say, oh, and I remember this was one of the classes where you could have been sitting late first. And usually it's pretty easy to trade that straight up if you want to, if you have to for a future first. This was one of those classes where you might've had to add to it or you might have had to say, well, I don't like to do this, but let me just trade down, maybe get a future second added on. Like there were not great bailout options in the later first. No, there weren't. But people do get rookie fever. And if you do shop the pick, you got to at least try. You got to at least try with all your league mates. Um, but let's get to wide receiver. Yeah, let's get to yeah, so wide receiver again, they had some pedigree. Now frankly, not not a ton because we didn't we only saw one in the top 20 of the draft, but but yeah, we got a little bit of, of tough luck with some of these profiles. Right. So Corey Coleman went first uh, at the 15th overall to Cleveland. He was a speedster out of Baylor and I didn't like him. I didn't like his attitude. I didn't like his style. And the Baylor uh, wide receiver profile. What's that? Well, and remember the Baylor offense was one yeah. where you you know where's the ball going and the rest of the guys. How about you take it off? Take, take the playoff. Play exactly. And we did a we did a film session on him, and I mentioned that Will Fuller went twenty first overall to Houston first round. Josh Doxson from TCU went to Washington at twenty second overall. Laquan Treadwell from Mississippi. Uh, Ole Miss went 23rd overall to Minnesota first uh, round. So four, fourth, four first round. And it was, as you mentioned, NFL teams just picking what they wanted. Speed was on the table with Corey Coleman and Will Fuller. Josh Doxson had a decent profile. Laquan Treadwell was just the monster in college that won by physical nature, wasn't the greatest route runner, didn't get the greatest separation. I know we had lots of discussions. I took Laquan Treadwell. You took Corey Coleman. Who was going to be the 102 versus 103? And there were a lot of discussions. Then we had guys like Sterling Shepard in round two to the Giants, Michael Thomas from Ohio State to New Orleans in the second round, mid-second, Tyler Boyd to Cincinnati. He was kind of a meh profile as far as more like a wide receiver two Guys like Leonte Carew, who had an outstanding, looked really good in college, went in the third round. Braxton Miller converted quarterback playing wide receiver in the third round. Then you got guys like Tajay Sharp in the fifth round of Tennessee, who, who did spark early in his career, but then faded very, very quickly. And then the elephant in the room, Tyreek Hill in the fifth round of Kansas City. I'll be interested to hear. I would like to hear the profile uh, the, what the projection model thought of Corey Coleman, Will Fuller, and Tyreek Hill. Completely different draft capital, but how did they match up with each other? How did we all miss? Tyreek Hill was not going in rookie drafts. Yeah. He was undrafted. He went as waiver wire in his rookie season, and he's had, of course, the best career of all these guys. Yeah, and that's what makes this class tough is, you know, Michael Thomas and Tyreek Hill are the two biggest hits and yet they were definitely not, you know, high up in terms of pedigree, high up in terms of initial appeal. There was the whole I remember the dialogue of, you know, the other Michael Thomas. You know, they had yeah. Mike Thomas out of uh, Southern Miss and er tons of people liked him. I think he was a Matt Waldman uh, special in terms of a sleeper, really liked him as well. He almost fell out of the entire draft, but some were still drafting him if memory serves in maybe even the second round of rookie drafts as the, this is the Mike Thomas you want, you know, that, that there was such a, a cloud, a mugginess over Michael Thomas out of Ohio state who went top 50 and went to the saints. Um, yeah, so the profiles here. Uh, what were the three again? I know you said Corey Coleman, Will Fuller, and Tyreek. Is that yes? Okay, the similar so, similar yeah. size, similar speed type profiles. Yeah, but how so do they look 
Yeah. So Corey Coleman, uh, he was a 94% athlete. He produced enough. And again, we had concerns about him just on, on the program. Is he going to be a hard worker? He ended up going first off the board, but you know what? The Browns at that point in time didn't have the best track record of, of selections. And, and Corey Coleman was considered the, uh, definitely not the, the, uh, consensus, uh, by, by a wide margin. Oh, you got to take him as the first wide receiver off of, uh, rookie boards at all. So there was some concern with Corey Coleman of, does it translate? He, he was a little more tested athlete there in the four threes can jump out of the gym, but he had small hands. Uh, and again, we just questioned the Baylor program in general, uh, with Will Fuller. I firmly remember a couple of startup drafts where I drafted him uh, specifically a little aggressively before the the combine, just because I was like, this guy's going to fly and he's going to move up. And sure enough, he ran the four threes. Um, he was a thinner guy, but I liked his profile a lot because he was productive on a market share perspective. Um, he came from a big time program there at Notre Dame and he was kind of peaking during the process um, all the way until his drafting over. I remember over Doxon, over Treadwell was considered pretty, pretty shocking, you know, at the time on how these wide receivers were going to stack up. Now they did go back to back to back, but Will Fuller um, overall had a, a similar profile to Corey Coleman, but I preferred it just a little bit just because he was more productive and he had a better uh, productive profile at, in my opinion, a more significant uh, competition level there um, at Notre Dame and through Notre And he Dame. too had small hands. He did. Exactly. Yeah. Very tiny hands. Now, again, it ended up having the dropsies. He was a guy that separated. It was almost like that wide receiver that was a track star in uh, Necessary Roughness where you get behind the whole defense, but no one said throw him the ball because he would drop everything. And Fuller had plenty of drops. It's like, I know the last year or two have been injury laced and we pretty much have not seen Will Fuller, but at his peak, uh, I mean, he really rounded out his game mid-career there. Uh, he was a per-game guy, you know, just missing so many games early on. But he did round out his game with the short and intermediate game in addition to some of those deep bombs from Deshaun Watson that I remember. Um, Tyreek Hill was one that he was originally out of Oklahoma State. He played some running back. He was kind of an offensive weapon. He ends up going to West Alabama for being a, I think it was either academics or being a knucklehead. But the point is, it was almost like the Isaiah Crowell path of he was a pretty darn good recruit, but he ends up, and it's a little different than running back. He ends up being off the radar, out of sight, out of mind because of where he played. But yeah, I mean, so tracking down his pro day information from West Alabama, and then he goes 165 in the draft. So really, it was a lot of, we don't, no one was really tracking this guy. But yet, you know, he runs four twos, I believe, uh, one of the best three cones in the entire model. But when you look at what he actually did in terms of a receiver, 1,200 yards in 33 games, seven touchdowns. He didn't exactly point to a giant big play maven that just, you know, cheetah, cheetah mode that, that he was in the NFL. And a big part of this, let's be fair. And I think Michael Thomas is another good point in this. So, so Tyreek Hill, just to answer your question, I mean, 95% athlete, but 7% production guy, boom bust, you know, to the, to the moon and a day three wide receiver. And I will say Tyreek Hill and Michael Thomas, what I'm going to remember from this class and, and this wide receiver group is that both of those players, I think what we undersold was the landing spot because neither one was super expensive. And Michael Thomas goes to a spot where he could develop you know, not as quickly as he actually did, but develop into Drew Brees' and Sean Payton's number one wide receiver. And then Tyree Kill going to Andy Reid. And I think those two things for Tyree Kill to not even basically be a spec fourth, fifth round rookie pick coming out. And then Michael Thomas to just not have a lot of respect where we just talked about how the later first round, which I believe is where he was going a lot, was, was not ripe with options. So I think not respecting how good those landing spots were or the potential that they could be were, were some of the things that, that, go, uh, uh, that went unnoticed or, or, or undervalued within this class. Right. I remember Tim mentioning that Michael Thomas had one of the worst gauntlet drills at the NFL Combine. He was fighting the ball. It yeah. was, you know, not a natural hands catcher, just a big guy. He didn't run particularly well, but he had yeah. monster hands. He had a huge frame. And what do we see him lean on throughout his historic run of production early in his career? Big hands, body up, can't guard Mike. And when you have an accurate quarterback throwing dimes, all you have to do is be 
be where you're supposed to be and then just snare everything. That's exactly what he did. And he's what we all expected Laquan Treadwell to do yeah. and to be. And, you know, he's Laquan Treadwell went to Minnesota, much younger, you know, 21 year old prospect, big physical dude. And I'll still remember the backwards hat, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. playing, playing the, uh, playing the, I'm really cool to be here at the NFL combine. I was like, what are we doing here? I, I remember I couldn't let it go. And that was just part of it. I mean, his 32% athleticism score was a big deal. And yes, he got round one pedigree and do we maybe slough that off to some degree, but we're talking spending 102, 103, 104 for Laquan Treadwell, sometimes uh, a lot of times two or three, I believe. So yes. he was one that you talking about that price tag, historically, very weak profile, drafting a questionable at best athlete and one with a later first pedigree. Uh, you know, you weren't going to get around one running back, you, you know, and just, I think Treadwell was also one where buyer beware and you kind of got what you deserve because a questionable athlete and one that is he going to be able to play that way in the NFL. And we found out pretty quickly that the answer was no. Right. So, you know, there's so many guys here that coulda, woulda, shoulda, and didn't. And that's what you can get, especially at the wide receiver position. It takes a while for them to acclimate to the NFL. And unfortunately, some of these hits, like you look back and you're like, within the class, Sterling Shepard, Tyler Boyd, guys like that, you know, to, to a much lesser degree, Rashard Higgins. These are guys that are, you know, Robbie Anderson basically had no pedigree. Um, that if these are your hits, and in my opinion, they're rather tepid ones, they're lower ceiling ones, then that really speaks uh, just another level of peeling the onion to how much this class didn't smell particularly good two, three, four years in. Well, right. And we knew at the time, I remember at the time, everybody was reaching. It, it, nobody felt good about the picks anywhere after Zeke. Yeah. Nobody felt great, even in Superflex. And it was just one of those, it's like, does this class really stink as much as we think it is? And no, think, no, this guy, yeah. we were trying to convince ourselves. No, no, this guy, this guy will be okay. Right. And here's why. Yeah. Le Leonte Carew. I mean, just to take a Mia culpa, I absolutely liked Le Leonte Carew. I think it was late first, early second, maybe even yeah. mid second. I mean, at, at best, but he had a, a, one of the strongest. I mean, when you compare him, he was a 92% in the model. He was highly productive, you know, six foot two eleven. had that thick build. He was athletic enough, 66%. Um, in the scoring there. So a lot to like, but uh, one lesson here is day three wide receivers. I mean, sorry, sorry. Round three, tough bet. You know, you really want round one, round two, and to break the rule, you definitely don't want to pay early second round prices uh, or higher for a, a round three or beyond wide receiver. These are just general earmarking, uh, you know, earmarks for the future historically. Uh, but, but yeah, Carew was one of those where, Hey, he faded behind guys like Boyd and Shepard and Thomas and Braxton Miller. And I mean, he faded behind a bunch of guys and didn't go overly high. And that means you probably got to get a little, uh, and, and I know there weren't a, a, ton, a ton of pivots and great options, but the point is the price was just a little high because the profile was not super elite. And yet the pedigree was also, I mean, he scraped into day two too. So um, that, that would be my lesson from Leonte Carew is mainly the, you know, oh, well, there's no one to take. So at 112, I'll take Leonte Carew. Not really the greatest uh, historical answer there. Um, and I, other names, I mean, Malcolm Mitchell was a guy that had a lot of appeal, flashed a little bit in year one, was going to be yet another one of those guys to buck the trend for the Patriots, uh, drafting him and potentially producing on that big time offense. Uh, so he was uh, another one. I mentioned Richard Higgins. Um, and I think that's about it. We can probably, <laughs> we can probably move. Oh, Duke Johnson was another one, right? Uh, DeKale, yeah. uh, DeKale Williams, um, out of, uh, out of Auburn was one that had, we talk about falling like a Debbie rock. You can probably speak to that of just like, he was a big time, sometimes going very early in Debbie drafts. And then we get to the draft process. We figure out he can't run. He proves he can't run. And then he goes undrafted and pretty much, uh, drifts away. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, like. Wide receiver is tough to peg in Debbie, but when they're rookies, it doesn't get a whole lot easier. No. All right. Let's Why? talk tight end. Your boy. Uh, yeah. We didn't have any first round tight ends in the NFL draft. 
but we did have a second round tight end. The first one off the board was my guy, Hunter Henry out of Arkansas. He went 35th overall early in the second round to San Diego. Austin Hooper was a third round pick, Nick Vanette, third round pick. And then Tyler Higby. I know Tim really liked Tyler Higby in round four to the Rams. The rest of the guys, not really worth mentioning. Uh, There was a lot of speculation, but in tight end premium, even guys like Hunter Henry were not super high. You could get them for a decent price. Late first, and again, for as weak as this class is, if you've got a position when you know that it's a weak class everywhere else, go for the guys like the quarterbacks and the tight ends. If it's super flex or tight end premium, go for those premium. It's better to take a shot at a premium position all things being equal and everybody sucking, why not go for a position of value? And Hunter Henry has done a really good job in his career. I think he had a decent profile. One of the things I remember about this draft, you would ask Marla, uh, your wife, Mrs. UTH, (laughs) about attitude. Like when you hear someone interviewed, does this person, are they in it for the money? Are they in it with their heart? And she thought he was smarmy. That was the word that she used. She thought that he came off as a smarmy guy that yeah. didn't really care. And I was like, no, man, he's a hard work and he's a lunch pail type guy. I've watched a lot of his games. He's he's a good blocker. So he will see the field early in his career. He's a good pass catcher. He's got a good size body. Yeah, uh, Henry was the, the best profile coming out, 95% overall in the model. He was a very good recruit as well. And he was easily the best year one option when you said who got off to a better start in the NFL. Uh, I will say Henry and Hooper pretty much even in terms of career VBD, which is value above baseline there at the position. Hooper had the better peak season so far. They've both gotten second contracts and pretty significant ones in the NFL marketplace. Henry looks to be the projected starter uh, going forward with the Patriots. We saw John New Smith not be a factor and, and Austin Hooper maybe uh, could be a, a cap casualty just with uh, not producing up to the requisite level um, of the contract. Cleveland played him. But both of them, uh, again, were the top two guys off the board, and they've been clearly the best two producers. Higby, it took him quite a while. Year First three years, he was pretty much off the radar before he had that giant breakout season in year four. So that's kind of, that's tough to say that, you know, being in the Higby business and, you know, did he really... Would he have been on the original team with that later uh, later breakout and just a lack of progression, lack of pop early on? That's a tough one in two tight end or even deeper rosters to say that you really stashed them for three full seasons, uh, truly believing that something big time was around the corner because there weren't and even, a lot of And even with Higby, he's played the most games. He's had 93 career games compared to 72 with Hunter Henry, who's yeah. been banged up here and there with injury, 88 games for Austin Hooper. But Higby's only been 4% of the time in the top five, 16% of the time in the top 12, and only 38% of the time in the top 24. So even in start two tight end, he hasn't been that startable, even in his his best of times. Hunter Henry, when he's healthy, has been the most consistent. 12 times, 17% of the time, top five, 44% of the time, top 12, and 69% of the time in top 24. Hooper, not too far behind, but you know, clearly Hunter Henry was the steal of this draft for that position. And just to highlight, if you were doing a uh, projection model, deep sleepers, uh, the two names this in this class were set the valve. Uh, so if you remember, he went to the Browns, I believe right off the bat, early day three. And he was that, uh, he was only six, two, but man, big time athleticism out of Princeton, good size, uh, movement and production coming out of that small conference. And then we had another one out of Harvard, Ben Braunecker. If you remember that name, he ended up being yep. on the radar for, I think, tight end two, tight end three for the bears at his peak. Um, so he was a UDFA um, and he, same thing, uh, quality athleticism and production combo. They had some, again, deeper league uh, kind of depth to tight end sort of moments, but never quite developed into any, anything substantial there. Yep. And then moving on to the quarterback position, <laughs> I remember this was pretty hotly contested as far as who was going to be the better quarterback And we had Jared Goff that went first overall to the Rams, Carson Wentz 
went to Philadelphia, second overall. Paxton Lynch was the other first round, 26 overall to Denver. They moved up so that they could get that extra fifth-year option. I really liked Paxton Lynch from a workhorse type. He was out of Memphis. He was a gym rat. But I also uh, – my biggest call of this one was Dak Prescott. I watched a lot of SEC football. He was a fourth-round pick. And the problem with Dak Prescott, the reason why he didn't move up many Superflex rookie boards is Tony Romo was still the starter at the time, and he hadn't been hurt yet. So people thought they were just getting a stash with him, whereas guys like Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Paxton Lynch – we're going to get the chance to be a starter right away. We had Christian Hackenberg in the second round. Nobody believed in him, although people still were trying to take him in Superflex in the mid first, I mean, uh, late first, mid second. Jacoby Brissett, because he was behind Tom Brady in New England, most people didn't even think about him until after he got traded to Indianapolis. But the quarterback class, when you think of Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, you kind of win a little bit, but they've done way better than most people will think. I'll give you the stats in a minute, but Dak Prescott, clearly the biggest steal in rookie drafts, super flex drafts, somewhere in the third round, late second, third round uh, as, as a stash guy in his rookie season. Yeah, and with that Romo injury, I mean, it kind of changed on a dime that trajectory, almost like Tom Brady, you know, where just right. one moment you're not really thinking about him, the next moment he's starting, looking competent, and then just upward trajectory from there. And Dak was uh, QB six in adjusted points per game in in year one, and you know, again with that star on your helmet and the number of of top ten, top twelve seasons he's produced so far, um, just what a run for Dak Prescott, uh, one of those beacons of light out of day three quarterbacks that you typically don't get. I remember, yeah, Wentz versus Goff, um, how the model looked was, you know, advantage Wentz just a little bit. And and that advantage was that he was going to be a mobile guy. He was a big guy, 230 plus, and that he checked all the boxes. Now the question mark was small school, uh, invisible program, dominant program. It was basically like Alabama, but of the lesser uh, conference, the uh, lesser uh, level. And so it's really kind of like an all-star team versus uh, lessers, you know, until you get maybe one or two games a year that can be even remotely contested. And so for Carson Wentz, just sort of off the radar, he was a riser. And then he ended up going one, two with Jared Goff in the draft. So he had the mobility there. And frankly, you know, year two, QB five. So he, over Goff, he definitely peaked first. He was better over the first two years. Now that whiplashed around because Jared Goff broke out in year three. He was good in year two, but not as good as Carson Wentz uh, there. With, with And Goff, again, wasn't going to be a mobile guy, and that was going to be a fantasy limitation. And frankly, I mean, a lot of people wrote him off completely after year one, even though he checked a lot of the boxes to a good enough level to say he was deserving within this class, especially of being the 101. I remember uh, doing a deep dive on, on Goff's rookie tape and saying, you know, there's a lot of pressure and it was a lot of life is not good, you know, for Jared Goff when he has pressure and he saw a lot of it in year one. I said, when he actually has some time and he can run the offense, there is some timing and rhythm and, and arm talent there. So he, I was definitely not giving up on him after year one. That said, I don't think a lot of people saw the progression to year two, the giant jump, and then obviously his best season to date in year three, uh, sort of his high point with the Rams there. But uh, I think when you look at back at both of them, I mean, they both have had moments, you could call it a, a near push because they both have had one top six season, one other in the top 12, and then they've had some QB two seasons mixed in. And, and you kind of look at where they are now, career crossroads-ish, um, because both of them don't have a ton of allegiance with their current team of, of more time under, under the center. Right. And again, in rookie drafts in Superflex, if you took Jared Goff at 101 or Carson Wentz at 102 or Dak Prescott in the third round, they all have returned value for you. Where you get into trouble, where dynasty owners get into trouble, is in year two, year three, when you're taking Carson Wentz in the first round of a startup draft or Jared Goff in the second round of a startup draft just because of his age. On an incomplete profile too. Right. Incomplete profile. Now, yes, they have all three returned very good on their initial rookie investment, even at 
Jared Goff, if, even if you took him at 101 in a super flex, you got a guy that played 83 games in the NFL, 16% of the time he was a top five, 39% of the time he was top 12, 39% of the time top 12, and 72% of the time he's been at least a QB2 in his whole career as a fantasy guy. And we are week-to-week game. So it doesn't matter how he finishes on the season. I don't care if he's QB 26 or whatever the case may be. How many games can he win you the week or at least keep you in the game? Carson Wentz, 13% of the time, top five, 46% of the time, almost half as a QB one, you know, top 12 and 86% of the time he's been at least a QB two. Dak Prescott, 28% of the time, top five. 53% of the time, top 12, and 80% of the time. So you can't say that any one of the three has been a bad dynasty. You know, if you got them in rookie drafts, the danger is anointing them way too soon and either trading for exorbitant prices or putting them in a startup and getting them late round one, early round two, above guys like a Tom Brady or somebody that's been around and done it for many years where you've, where you still have lots of years of production left. Yeah. uh, Just to highlight a couple other profiles, the the Dak Prescott profile was a good one. If you were going to invest in this class or even previous ones on a day three quarterback, he, he applied, he checked uh, to at least the requisite amount, all the passing boxes. He was, of course, mobile as well. He was thick and just he did not have the pedigree. And like you said, out of sight, out of mind with initially landing behind Tony Romo was probably his biggest demerit. Uh, Paxton Lynch, Christian Hackenberg, um, they were both uh, very worrisome profiles. Obviously, Lynch was the mobile guy. Hackenberg didn't have that, but neither one was all that promising when you look at their passing profile. And so that would have been a reason for concern. When, when, uh, guys in the, in college throw picks just just as one uh, one point here. If they throw picks and that touchdown interception ratio is poor, that rarely, rarely, unless a guy and Matthew Stafford's really the one guy, and he went one on one, mind you, and has one of the the better arm talents in the past 15, 20 draft classes. So exception to the rule, but look at how the profile was different when you. And the other part of this is when a guy drifts to the latter part of of round one. Yes, you have Lamar Jackson, and and every once in a while someone hits, but it's not very often. And typically, and this is a good a good moment, a uh, good lesson for potentially 2022. Have pause with how much you're paying for these quarterbacks, just because. Just know the NFL pushes up quarterbacks, and if some guy drifts to the 20s or 30s, that every NFL team, whether it's a, a marginal trade up or trade back or just drafting at their spot. They've had a look at the most important position and they passed on that guy. So that is not a great harbinger of things to come uh, there. And Paxton Lynch and uh, Christian Hackenberg both were kind of in that nebulous zone where not a great sign historically for the NFL teams passing and then what their evaluation would be on that player at a critical position. Absolutely. So what, are th- so what are th- some of your lessons? Let- let's put all the skill positions together. The 26, t- 2016 rookie draft. Uh, what do you kind of take away as, as a macro point or two? So the macro point is when you, when you are told that it's a weak class or you believe that it's a weak class based on what you see and know, either trade out or trade up. You don't want to be trading back necessarily because trading back in a weak class, you're just taking more crap shoots. I would rather trade out into a class that is markedly stronger or trade for a veteran. A lot of people on rookie draft day, if there's a deflated veteran, like at this point, 2016, Devontae Adams still hadn't hit yet. Trading rookie picks for a guy like Devontae Adams would have been a sage way to go. Yeah, excellent. And I like what you said earlier, which is when you get uh, some level of hit early on, I think quarterback is definitely the the watchword here. But yet, you know, it's not that they they put together multiple strong years. You need to have some pause about pushing them all the way up in superflex drafts to the top 10, 15, 20. It's it's very dangerous. The one 
flash moment season and then projecting career stable anchor core level second contract greatness out of that player it's a pretty dangerous game in my opinion so so that would be my last uh, last point here so it is nfl combine week katie um and the biggest days, uh, just for folks, uh, the biggest days are Thursday and Friday. They've squashed together when we're going to get a lot of those official measurements for the underclassmen, the guys we didn't get at the Senior Bowl. Uh, so this is the big, massive data dump. But we also get the on-field drills. All that's going to be the same days for the running backs on one day and all the pass-catching, pass-centric uh, players uh, for the rest of the skill positions on Friday. So what do you take away, Katie? What, what are the things that Dynasty owners should have uh, on their legal ta- uh, tablet here for uh, for this week to take notes and to refine some of their thoughts. You're looking for competition. Now you get to see everybody compared to each other. Um, it's not just running in a straight line. For wide receivers, I'm looking at the gauntlet drill. I'm looking for the guys that can follow directions. We've seen guys that that turn the wrong way and then they're told, no, you got to go this way or you got to do this. And or guys that have their hats on backwards and look like complete ass hats, um, <laughs> things like that, that can be red flags. But I'm really disappointed that Matt Corral is not going to compete this week. You know, if quarterback and you're supposed to be the stud number one quarterback, dang it, put your hat in the ring and compete. And he's got question know. marks with his size, right? I mean, we right. want to see now, can, he weigh in, can he weigh in more than 205? Right. Some people say that because of his ankle injury that he sustained in his bowl game, that that's why he's not going to compete. I don't know if I necessarily buy that, but we'll see. I mean, if he competes at his pro day, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I like to see them all competing. That's always a good thing to see the, the competition. You know, running backs, you want to see how they move how they work through the different drills. And again, do they go in the proper direction? Are they natural hands catchers? Are they fighting the ball? It, it isn't always 100% an indication, but it just gives you another box to check. And I'll say in terms of the uh, project model stuff, the the, the actual scores we're going to get uh, for their, their physical and athletic testing, I would say this. Uh, in general, don't overrate the wide receiver, you know, because uh, we've seen plenty of guys that are just good enough athletes, maybe not spectacular. I'm talking about guys that are, you know, 35, 40, 45% athleticism scores. But if they were rocking and productive in college, Jarvis Landry is a classic case of this that you need to give them the proper respect. Keenan Allen, a, a good example of guys that when they have the positional traits to produce well, and yet you say, oh, well, they ran four, five, five. That probably means they're more advanced with route running, separation, all the nuances of the position. And the guy that wasn't super productive, and yet he he's 220 and runs four, three. Why weren't you more productive if you were that physically dominant over your peers? So that those are great questions to ask. So I would say don't double count the elite athletes. If you're going into this process and you think some guy is going to test well, don't start boosting him up because he tested well. He checked the box. For a guy that maybe is a questionable athlete, he tests a little better. That is a, a, a go back, watch some tape, see if that shows up a little bit. And then yes, move them up, count that. Um, and then the other part I would say is running back, the physical stuff really counts. I think this year with the tepid run tied in class, is, are we going to get a good athlete that goes on day two? I think that's a legit question mark, but with running back size, speed, speed, and that, that boom bust profile, it translates. I'll tell you if they get enough, if they even get round four or five pedigree, officially interesting if they have the size you know what an example of uh and i know they went to a perfect system but elijah mitchell talk about a guy that went day three but had the size had the speed uh and he he puts that together and you see a guy on tape you give him a runway boom can be 20 plus yards and and joe mixon is like i'll take that because i i don't get many 20 plus yard chances so that overt size movement really matters at the running back position. So that's one where I would pay close attention. The guys that run four sixes, that's concerning. The guys that run four fours, especially at a good weight, highly, highly interesting, even low four fives. So wide receiver, I would give it a little less thought than I would say the consensus gives it. And then for running backs, I would give it 
as much or maybe even more attention for the guys that maybe pop up with those good times and good profiles for their size. All right. We got Katie Flower. If you got questions, she's going to be watching the combine uh, this coming uh, week. She, she DVRs it, I believe, every single year. She'll go back and watch it, the, the drills, two, three times. You can hit her up on Twitter at FF underscore Skylar 399. I am at Chad Parsons NFL. Reminder, if you enjoy this show, a number, we've got, I think, 10 to 12 shows in the Dynasty Trading Series. It's going to be an annual thing. Building your toolbox of skills and a number of other shows. Just had one on with a UTH super fan listener, Kevin, talking about the Rams journey. He's been a fan his whole life. So many interesting storylines to discuss over a 20-plus year sample size with him. Fun conversation as I got to uh, gain knowledge and uh, get to know uh, one of the UTH listeners and record a show. So if you're a super fan of a team, uh, I'd love to talk to you. I always enjoy uh, putting up shows like that uh, just as part of the premium podcast showcase there. So become a general manager, subscriber, all the updates to the UTH trade calculator this time of year, post combine, post NFL free agency, right around your rookie draft or a startup draft, integral data to have your best dynasty team build from the ground up yet. So for Katie Flower, myself, Chad Parsons, until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties. I got, we just, I never thought we'd be in a pro and anti-treadmill. I really wish treadmill went three rounds earlier for the sake of this show. He's growing on me a little bit in... In certain <laughs> formats, um, and I know that we don't it's get... It's best ball, though, so... I, I, I know that. that. Yeah, don't start digging on me. I'm finally agreeing that we might even consider him, so hush. Whoa! <laughs> I have a feeling someone's locking me out on draft day. I, I would go Austin Hooper before him, personally. There you go. And Katie just threw a keyboard. Didn't you know? We should actually play a fun game. Where would Jordan draft Jordan Howard? And we'll just go down this ADP list and wait for a guy that you would draft Howard over. You want to close up the show with that game? Okay, oh, we could do okay. that. I, but I wanted to ask you. Well, don't close it up. Oh, I have, we'll do the I have game. A well, not last a while. I don't know. Okay. You might make it three more. Go, rounds. No, go ahead with the Jordan Howard thing. Just let me. Let me All right. So yeah. I'm, I'll leave a slight pause between each player, but just literally speak <laughs> up when I get to a player. You would take Jordan Howard in a startup team build over, and this is starting in the mid-third round of ADP. So Howard's in the mid-third round. Let's see how long Jordan goes. It's like a drinking game. Amari Cooper, James Conner, Will Fuller, Allen Robinson, T.Y. Hilton, Devonta Freeman, Kenny Galladay. This is getting fun. Cooper, Cooper, who is? Wow. that He's in the mid-third round. That's, that's high or that's low? Wow. Kenny Galladay. Okay. Well, you didn't stop me. So. Yeah, it's just surprising. Okay. Cooper Cup. Just, yeah. These next ones are laughable. Corey no, Davis. Darius Geis. Sonny Michelle. Zach Ertz. Getting tired over here, Jordan. Kirion Johnson. Patrick Mahomes. Sammy Watkins. Aaron Rodgers. Doug Baldwin. Nick Chubb. Tevin Coleman. Getting tired. Calvin Ridley. This might be the best segment we've ever done on this show. Evan Ingram, Alshon wow. Jeffrey, Golden Tate. I got to scroll now. Mike Williams, Golden, uh, no, Robert Woods, Royce Freeman, Chris Godwin. Jesus, Jordan, you're killing me. Josh Gordon, Maybe. Marvin Jones. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jesus Christ. I got right, I'll to take the him over Josh Gordon. Round, I'll take him over Jordan. Josh Gordon. Killing there we go. I'll put it, I'll I put thought it when I started reading the names. <laughs> all right. So we made it more than two rounds. Holy cow. I hope that was a fun game for all of us. <laughs>